Welcome to the East Memorial Ministries podcast. This podcast is the central hub for all audio publications of East Memorial Baptist Church out of Prattville, Alabama. So grab a pen, paper, and your copy of God's Word, and let's study God's truth together. Well, guys, we have been in um, Revelation chapters 2 and now in 3, looking at the churches there written um, uh, through Jesus Christ by John on the Isle of Patmos. Today we are looking at, or actually this week we've been looking at Sardis, the church at Sardis found in Revelation chapter 3, 1 through 6. And then um, we've already talked and looked through Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira. And uh, last week Thyatira and the week before Pergamum were similar. Um, However, Thyatira was dominated by what was being Uh, introduced and allowed in Pergamum. Uh, We found that Thyatira was dominated by um, basically a form of Gnosticism. Um, And they were were called to repent, to repent. Um, You say, uh, what is this? This is like separating the spiritual from the physical. Like you live however you want and you come to church and give Him praise. You, You view church as your only form of worship. Maybe it's music, and you view music as giving him your weekly worship or praise, or, or maybe it's just prayer, or maybe it's hearing the word, but it's, it's our all of us and, and everything that we do, all of us giving him praise every moment of every day. That is true worship. And so what we found is that Thyatira had um, allowed false teachers in and they were not only allowing it, they were now generations down the road, um, they were serving basically false idols in the sense of pagan idolatry, um, worshiping worship practices that had nothing to do with Scripture and nothing to do with God. Today, <clears throat> we're looking at a church of Sardis in Revelation 3, and this is one of the saddest uh, churches, and we're going to look at one in two weeks as well. But this one is identified as dead as dead they had no name that was um they had a name for the culture that was alive but no name according to god that said they were alive they were dead and so they were warned to repent at least the ones who were still able to hear the ones who were maybe asleep but not yet dead the ones the little bit of life that was left was called to repent hopefully you've been able to read this this week and um because again john gives a lot of detail he gives a lot of back history and story of even the church there at Sardis in the region. We're not going to get into that today um, because there's no time for that. But we will be talking about the dead church. If you'll start with me in Revelation chapter 3, we're going to read together. Uh, I'll, I'll read out loud, but we'll read together this the first six verses. And this is the letter that was written to them. Revelation chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. The Bible says, To the angel of the church in Sardis write, He who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars says this, I know your deeds, that you have a name that you are alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen the things that remain, which were about to die. For I have not found your deeds completed in the sight of my God. So remember what you have received and heard and keep it and repent. Therefore, if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief And you will not know at what hour I will come to you. But you have a few people in Sardis, 
who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes will thus be clothed in white garments, and I will not erase his name from the book of life, and I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. And then he says in verse 6, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. We're going to come back to that line there at the end. But he who has an ear, let him hear. Okay, so in this passage, we see a break in the pattern. Because so far in every letter that was written, John, through the inspiration of Jesus Christ, John starts with a commendation, the good things. He starts with what he sees that are good in the church and to those who are the overcomers. And then he gets into what they need to change and repent of. But in this letter, he changes this pattern. And he starts with a condemnation. And we see that in verse 1. He says, I know your deeds. And this is a very sad statement. He says, that you have a name that you are alive, but you are dead. Essentially, what that, um, what that means, thank you, Tracy. I'll take one after, though. Um, essentially, what that means, y'all, is that they thought they were alive. They, they thought they were alive. They were going to church, and they were doing churchy things, and they thought they were alive, but the Bible says, Jesus says, they were dead. This reminds me of a verse that we probably hear pastors say, if not every Sunday, it's every other. And because it, it is one that stays on his mind as a shepherd of this church. And that is found in Matthew 7. Will you turn there with me? You could probably quote this from memory just by hearing it so often. But because of that, we probably let it slip by. It's a scary passage. It's one of the scariest passages in all of Scripture. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. The Bible says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father, who is in heaven, will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name cast out demons? And in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Now, first of all, those who believe you can lose your salvation don't really understand the fact that Christ doesn't know some and then turn his back and reject them, therefore not knowing them. The Bible says that Christ, if you die in your unbelief, maybe you grew up in church and have walked away The Bible, according to this, says that you never were a child of God because you can't lose your salvation because it's not us who saves ourselves, it's God. And so if he says, depart from me, I never knew you, it leads and indicates that there never was a relationship. And so there are denominations, even in the Baptist realm, that believe you can lose your salvation. Um, This is very uh, prevalent in the charismatic theology as well. Um, and Church of Christ, there's so many, but that you can lose your salvation. It's not, it's, not, it's not true. You just never were. The scary part of this passage, though, like at Sardis, these people that say, Lord, Lord, did we not do these things? They all believe that they were children of God. 
It's not the ones who were rejecting him here, claiming to be an atheist here, or even living half-heartedly. These are like the Pharisees. These are the ones that were doing everything, maybe very even legalistic. And they stand before him, and he says, Depart from me, I never knew you. Depart from me, all those works that you did meant nothing. Because you were working your way through some sort of system, but you never repented of your sins and put your faith and trust in me and me alone. That is scary because this kind of gives more light to the broad and narrow way where there are people heading down the broad way. This just isn't the world heading down a broad way. These are people thinking that they are believers in Christ and they are doing all that they feel that they're, well, the church is telling them to do. And this goes back to church leadership as well. But they are heading down this broad way when in fact, the way to Christ is narrow and few find it. That's scary as a pastor. And this is why he preaches this so much because when he looks out at the congregation, according to this, if you were just to take a percentage, it seems like a small percentage of even our church might be the ones who hear, well done, thy good and faithful servant. And hopefully not the larger portion to hear, depart from me, I never knew you. Yeah, you gave a tithe. Yeah, you kept babies in the nursery. But you never gave me you. This church at Sardis believed themselves to be alive. Not only did they believe they were alive, but their community thought they were alive. They were doing good things in the community. They were probably a community gospel-centered in the sense that it was about, like kind of what we're seeing today, a gospel plus. And so the community looked at Sardis and said, oh no, they're alive. And that's why the Bible says, Jesus says, you have a name that you are alive, but you are dead. His glory had departed from them. There was a remnant We'll come back to that in a moment. But in, back, we're still in Matthew 7. In, um, in verse 20, if you'll look up to Matthew 7, 20, he says, so then you will know them by their fruits. Okay, you'll know them by their fruits. We, we talk about the community knowing a church and thinking they're alive, but it's not by their fruits of what the scriptures teach the fruits of the Spirit are. It's the fruits of what you do for us. Okay, there used to be a church in town. I don't even know. I think they're still in existence, but there was a church in town 10 years ago that on Easter Sunday morning, they were the place to go and they would rent out the stadium downtown Prattville and they would basically, their promotion for Easter Sunday, and you will remember this if you lived here long enough, would be the 10,000, I think it got up to one time, 25,000 Easter eggs that they were going to have available for all the children. And it was like this big, huge Easter egg hunt that was really not a hunt. It was just eggs all over the stadium. <laughs> so, uh, but the kids would go and collect all these eggs. And then they had this stage set up and they would bring in these like passion type plays, um, but very, very charismatic, um, over the top, uh, music building, very emotional driven um, presentations and they would pack out Stanley Jensen Stadium thousands of people there was even people in our church who was going to their early one just because it was so awesome and then they were coming to our boring traditional preaching Easter Sunday service 
Why can't we do something like that, we would hear. That church only thinks in existence. If it is, it's a, it's a very small number. It used to be a very large church here. And it just, through scandal and other things, it just kind of died. Um, I'm not saying that's the reason, but that's a good example to me to say that that church looked very much alive to the community. But clearly it was dead. Now there may have been a remnant, and I think there was a remnant. And that remnant still may be trying to fight for something. But the church overall was dead. But it looked very much alive to our community. And so the Bible says, Matthew 7, 20 says, you will know them by their fruits. This is the fruits of the Spirit. This is the fruits that we see played out in what the Bible tells us, what the Holy Spirit teaches and convicts through sanctification. This isn't what, how many backpacks you buy for your community. This isn't how many bikes you give away. I mean, all those things are good and fine, but you, that's not what we, that's not the gospel, Okay. And so there are churches who look very much alive to their community and they get the invitations for certain things. Jesus is not suggesting though in this passage, and I want us to understand this, that you have to work your way to salvation. Um, Yes, he's going to know us by our works. And there are those who he will say, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. But that is not to say that you have to work in order to be saved. You hear pastors say this all the time too. We don't work in order to become, but because we have become, because we are children of God, we work. We do the work of the Lord. And it goes hand in hand. James chapter 1, turn there with me this morning. James 1 verse 22. James 1, says, Now, understanding, we don't work in order to be saved. Let's read this. Verse 1, But prove yourselves doers of the word, and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But one who looks intently at the perfect law the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer. This man will be blessed in what he does. Look at verse 26. Skip down there. Oh, I think that was the very next verse, wasn't it? Uh, No, chapter 2. I'm sorry. Chapter 2, verse 26. That was well. Chapter 2, 26 says, For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. We're not going to, we're going to stay in James 2 for a moment. But guys, this is someone like the church at Thyatira who has bought in, again, I'm going to use this word, to some sort of Gnosticism. They've bought into somehow separating their church life, and that's what I'm going to call spiritual, even though it's more than church, and their physical. Somehow the spiritual is separated and it doesn't get included. And so, that's the only way that we can find ourselves making idols unto ourselves, And it could be sports. And it could be television programs. And it could be um, other things that we allow into our homes and into our families that somehow we have separated the spiritual from the physical. And we have somehow talked ourselves into the fact that we're mature enough to handle it. But what we forget is that a little leaven, 
A little leaven leavens the entire lump. Just a little bit of sin allowed affects the entire church. A little sin allowed into your home and into your family, a, bit of, a little bit of the world will affect and it will spread way more than holiness. So you have a little leaven leavens the whole lump, but unfortunately holiness has to be fought for. I see it in my own children. I mean, I see it with them when I'm doing family devotions with them, when I'm just watching them. I see how quickly the sinful nature can spread. Even five minutes after having good family devotions, prayer, singing songs, you see it. You know yourself. And so holiness has to be fought for. But sin, we can't let down our guard and even allow it to take root because it will spread. And that's what we see in these churches. Every one of them has a problem with this. And so in James chapter 2, we see this illustration in a different way. A man who looks at a mirror, sees what he needs to change, walks away from the mirror, and completely forgets and lives life as normal. That's like you come to church, you're reminded through the pastor, through the preaching of the word, what you need to do. You're convicted. You maybe leave, you go into a conversation in the lobby that changes, which you know, maybe that changes your whole tune of thought of what you were doing. You walk out to your car, your radio is set to 92.3 because you were probably listening to Southern Gospel on the way to church, but now it's country. And I'm just picking. Um, and, and now your whole mindset is gone. You've walked away from the mirror and you've completely forgotten. But that's why we've got to live in front of the mirror. We've got to live in the word of God. We've got to daily digest it, not just a five-minute devotion. We know that that doesn't do us any good. We close the devotion book. We close the Bible. We go to work and we face the world. We face the problems and we forget. We've got to be reminded. We've got to keep it before us constantly. But when we constantly put that devotion and I'm saying devotion to Christ, prayer, reading of the word, when we keep putting that to the side and we allow other things to fill it, even okay things, but we allow those things to fill it and we consume our time with all of this and we limit our time in the word, then we are limiting our time in front of the mirror and we forget what we even look like. And we find ourselves, when we finally do look back in the mirror, looking like something we had no idea. And you have like blackheads all over your face and your eyebrows are grown back together and, and you just look disgusting. How in the world did I get here? It's because I haven't been looking in this mirror. That would happen to me if I didn't look at it pretty often. Look at verse 17, James 2. Back in verse 17. Even so faith, if it has no works, is dead being by itself. But someone may well say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without the works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one? You do well. The demons also believe and shudder. But are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless? Was not Abraham, our father, justified by works? When he offered up Isaac, his son, on the altar? You see, that faith was working with his works. 
And as a result of the works, faith was perfected. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, And Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. That's quoted from Genesis 15, verse 6. I want you to just, if you're taking notes, jot down Romans chapter 4. And we don't have time to read through that today, but that is a wonderful explanation. And it will enlighten even more so this passage we just read in James chapter 2. Romans 4. So jot that down and, and look over that this week. But faith without works is dead. I got a question. Can someone have works but no faith? Yeah. We see that, right? I have plenty of family members who have a lot of works, but they have no faith. But the opposite is not true. You cannot have a genuine faith without works. And so there are those who claim, like the demons, to fear and tremble, but yet they have no works to prove their genuineness in salvation. They're basically like a um, fake diamond. They look pretty from the outside, but they're not genuine. And so... This is what James is trying to convey. And Matthew is, through Jesus Christ, is conveying at the end of time those who have thought they were believers. They believed. They even feared. They trembled. They believed that God was real. But they, like Esau, never repented of their sins and gave themselves fully to Christ. And there are those who work. They do a lot of work. But they don't have a genuine faith. And this is a very damning um, understanding that we must see in Scripture. It's scary. Matthew 7, 22 again says, Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name cast out demons. And in your name perform many miracles. See, this is the root of other religions. They have a faith, but not in the God of the Bible. They all work to hopefully become. But having faith in God is the only religion that produces fruit immediately. It produces something in the child of God because at the moment of repentance, of salvation, when God saves, then you have become. You don't work your way into something and hope that when you die, you will have done enough good things to make it. But at salvation, we have become, and therefore, we are His righteous slaves. And we work for Him. And so that is the fruit of our salvation. That is what proves the aliveness, or the, the church being alive and not dead. Not the community efforts. Not the shallow uh, calls to Christ and through the gospel by winning people by the world's standards, but yet offering them nothing. And so Sardis seems to be, or had been, that church. Why don't you turn to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. The Bible says, Ephesians 2, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked, according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, 
of the Spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God. Look at verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy, because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, He made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with Him. And seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the ages to come, He might show the surpassing riches of His grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for what? Good works. We're not saved by the works, but we're created to do the good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in Him. Why do we do the good works if it's not to earn salvation? What are the works for? For His glory. The works are for His glory. We are created in Him to do the good works which He has prepared beforehand. He's already prepared them. We work, we serve, we produce fruit not to earn anything, but because we are saved by the grace of God, we give Him our life. We are dedicated fully to Him. And so our lives are lived for Him. It's for His glory and for His glory alone. If you live in that, if you wake up every moment, morning thinking, my life today is for His glory. That's going to shape the decisions you make. That's going to shape everything that you do, even eat, even drink, or how much. It's going to affect all of those things because everything you do is for God's glory. Now, the church at Sardis, going back and thinking about the dead, the deadness, they were called dead. They were called dead. And this was not in the positive sense, that they were dead in their transgressions and sins that we just read about. They were called dead because, they, and meaning that they were not alive in Christ. In verse 1 of Ephesians 2, again, dead, what we once were, dead in our transgressions and sins, is what Sardis is being described as. They are dead in their transgressions and sins. And that's what we once were. And, that's, and, and, and he's calling the remnant that's still at Sardis, those burning embers that may be starting to die out, he is calling them to fan the flame, to save what still can be saved. I know some of you like fires, and there's, this has been season for campfires or roasting marshmallows. And um, I've been burning some things on my property because we are building and we've been clearing. And um, one night, me and the boys were up there. We had four different fires going. And um, Corey in here? Where, where's Corey? I didn't have a water source up there. So I guess I could have ignited the entire thing. But now I have a water tank. So I'm good. 
I'm just telling you. Um, there's a water tank up there. But uh, I, I didn't think of that till afterwards. I was like, I have no way to put out any of these fires if it takes off. <laughs> Glenn may just lose all his trees. Um, but anyways, um, I had four fires going. And, and the next day I rode up there, the next morning, and there was still some embers. Well, I went up there. I had a, a few, little bit of time before uh, I went to work. I went up there and I got that thing going once more because I was able to reignite the fire just by the burning embers that were there. And that, in Revelation chapter 3, he's calling now, he's moving to those who are still alive. And he is calling them to, to, to life, to, to save whatever can be saved. And the purpose, again, is for his glory. Our salvation is for his glory. And so... There, me and Brad talk about this sermon a lot, but I think it, who was it that introduced us to 10 shekels in a shirt? Um, Kyle Ballou. Y'all remember Kyle Ballou? Um, he told me and Brad uh, about a sermon that I had never heard of. What's the pastor's name? Uh, Paris, Reedhead. Paris Reedhead from the 60s, right? Um, 64 or something like that. But preached a sermon called 10 shekels and a shirt. Um, I, I know I put Linda on that. I know she's read it. And uh, listen to it. But you want to jot that down. And uh, Okay, good. Really good sermon. But he explains salvation in a way that I've heard, and I've heard through various sources, but not in one complete sermon, the way he presented it. And it is that even our salvation, even God sending his son to die on the cross, even though it's for us, it was for the glory of God. And so in saving us, it is all for his glory. It's, we get caught up in this emotional um, gospel presentation that he has come because he loved us so much. He has come to rescue us. All that's true. There is the analogy of the bride and the groom but the ultimate purpose, and we're going to see in glorification, and in Revelation 21 explains this dramatically, that our whole entire purpose is to give him praise and glory. The whole purpose of redemption is Adam and Eve fail, failed, they fell, and, and now there was a Redeemer, Christ the Lord, and he is saving, he is calling his church, and one day through sanctification, we will be glorified, and the whole purpose of that is to give Him glory. And that is the reason for our salvation. It has nothing to do with us. It's for Him and for Him alone. We think, though, that it's all for us. I grew up thinking that. Um, Yes, God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. All of that is true, but the ultimate reason is for His glory. This church at Sardis was a lot like churches that we see today. And the call for us is to see and to ask, are we dead? I don't believe we're dead. Do I believe that there are those who are dead in our church that may seem alive? Yes. And that's just based on Scripture. It seems that that is probably the case. You know them by their fruits. Matthew 7.20 I know myself. I know what I struggle with. I know my internal thoughts. I know the things, the sin that I have to kill. 
daily, moment by moment in my life. But I also know that there are some who seem to work but have no faith or have faith but no work. And they don't go together in Scripture. So are there dead people in our church? And I would say yes. Is our church as a whole dead? I would say no. Is our church susceptible to being that way? Yes, like every church. And it starts with allowing sin to take root in the church. Now you can think this way uh, even with your own selves, your personal lives, your family structures. This same thing happens in your own parishes, your own family church. Now, what kills the church is the question, because Sardis was dead. What kills the church? Number one, MacArthur says error kills the church. False teaching, sin, sinful leadership, compromise with the world, not taking Scripture seriously. All of these things kill a church. I'm going to read on page 126 a paragraph, third paragraph. MacArthur writes on page 126, it's a church that's wrapped up in religious tradition, practiced by rote, but devoid of real faith. It's concerned with liturgy and form, but not true worship. It's a church consumed with healing social ills and promoting public welfare, but not preaching the power of the gospel to transform lives. It's a church that tolerates sin rather than confronting it. It's a church that is more interested in the fashions and opinions of men than the Word of God. It's a church devoted to material things, even vaguely spiritual things, but not the Scripture in its fullness. It's a church that has no desire for holiness. That is a dead church. It's easy to spot, MacArthur says, a dead church for a believer, but to the world, they seem very much alive. MacArthur um, continues on through this chapter, and again, I'm, there's so much that I, we haven't even touched. But he unpacks verse 2 of Revelation chapter 3. He says, wake up. Uh, Jesus Christ says, wake up. Strengthen the things that remain which were about to die, for I have not found your deeds completed. In other words, um, your works are unacceptable. MacArthur uses the phrase pious pantomime, wasn't fooling anybody. Basically, you're just going through the motions. You seem religious and spiritual, but it's not fooling God. It may fool people. But what's the purpose of fooling people? God's eye sees all. He says, wake up. Look around and assess the situation. Look around. Remember, in verse 3, he says, remember what you have received and heard. And then he says, keep it. And the big word, repent, turn back. Because without repentance, it's only an outer action that's good for a, only a brief moment. It's only good for as long as you're standing in front of the mirror. He says, repent so that when you walk away, when you aren't in front of the mirror, repent so that when you're not visibly seeing that you're able to live in light of the gospel, repent. Verse 4, he says, but you have a few people in Sardis. There's a few. There's a, there's a remnant that their garments haven't yet been soiled. He calls them overcomers again. He says this in every letter. Overcomers who will one day, if they overcome, and they will of their children of God, they will inherit and be clothed in white robes. 
Their names will not be erased from the book of life. They will confess His name before Father and before His angels. In other words, they will give Him glory. And then in verse 6, He says, He who has an ear, let him hear. Did dead people hear? No. So it's not just that, oh, we all have ears. Dead people, although they have ears, don't hear. The only thing that can bring a dead person to life is Jesus Christ. That's why you can't lose your salvation. If he's made you alive in him, then you will be his workman because he's created you for his work to give him glory. If there's someone who claims to be a child of God, but they are not doing the work of the Lord, they are illegitimate and they're dead. Does that make sense to you? We have to evaluate our church. Are we allowing sin in our church? What about our personal lives? What about our family lives? Are you allowing sin to creep in? We're going to have a little bit of a break from the sad news next week. However, we need to keep that in the forefront of our mind. Next week is chapter 8, Philadelphia. They're the faithful church. Finally, there's a faithful church. There's no warnings or judgments given to Philadelphia. They're promised protection. They're promised to escape from the great testing. And this is what we all strive to be. We want to be Philadelphia. And so let's read this this week. Let's be encouraged this week. But let's keep ourselves in front of the mirror of God's word this week. We must be found faithful. And guys, if you don't have any desire to do anything for Christ, if you find yourself doing the churchy things on church day and you're living your life separate from the spiritual, that does not go together. The Bible says you're dead. What can I do? You need Jesus Christ. If the Holy Spirit is speaking and working through you, the only one who can raise you from the dead, then then answer the call and repent and be saved. If you know people like that, don't cater to them. Don't cater to their, their version of what church should be and what their version of an alive church should be or your talk and what you allow and what you accept and what you don't. Be biblical. Be pointed in love. Teach them the truth, praying that the Holy Spirit will convict them and wake them up. The remnant, those of you who are alive, there's embers. Guys, ignite the flame. We must protect our church from the world. Our church must be holy. We want to be Philadelphia. So let's think about that this week as we move forward and read. We only have a few chapters left in this book. Three. There's two more churches. And there's a final conclusion, concluding chapter. And um, I hope this has been a blessing to you. But we're not done yet. We still have to... We still have to hit Laodicea. So um, we're going to continue working forward, okay? Let's pray. Father, we know how wretched we are. God, in fact, I stand before your people today and I am not qualified apart from you to stand before them. I am thankful for your grace which you've given me and I live in that. God, I live in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ because I know that it was by faith, but it was by your Holy Spirit, your working in my life that raised me from death to life and placed me with Jesus Christ. Meaning, Father, I am to work now, not later. I am to work now as your kingdom priest. And the Bible says not just that you ought, but that you will. 
God, I know that I have many issues and I have so much sin to kill and constantly kill. And God, I know that I stand here unworthy apart from you. God, we sit here today. We attend this service together today unworthy of your grace, but you've given it to us. God, the word, the Bible says that if we are a child of God, our fruits will prove that. God, may we examine ourselves. Do we have the Holy Spirit that lives within us? Are we easily able to separate the spiritual from the physical? Or are they one and the same? God, help us to evaluate not only our lives, our family, churches, our structures, but our church here at East Memorial. May we examine and change what needs to be changed. Confront sin, not allowing any to be able to take root here. God, we know that the community may look at us and say, oh, they're, not, they're nothing. They don't do anything for us. But God, may we be seen by the fruits of the Word of God, people who genuinely love, and when times get hard, a place where the truth is still preached in love. God, may this be a lighthouse to our community, a bastion of truth, biblical truth. May you work in and through us. Be with us now as we go into the next worship hour. Help us to truly worship you in song, through the proclamation of the word, in prayer. But help it not to stay there. Help us to remember what we've seen and continue to gaze into your mirror of the word of God this week. And may we be about the business of the kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We are glad you joined us today. If you have any questions about what was discussed on today's podcast, send us a message on Facebook. Email us at info at eastmemorial.org or call our church office at 334-365-7500. Thanks for listening.